Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. The interview you're going to hear today is with Tim Gunn. We taped it in January when times were just so innocent and carefree, so the conversation will reflect it. I just want to say that the new show he is promoting, Making the Cut, on Amazon Prime is really terrific. I've watched it and enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy this conversation. You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach, and a really great thing happened to me on New Year's Day. While walking around the kind of empty Upper West Side, I ran into an old friend on the street, and that friend is somebody I have always adored talking to and always thought about in the back of my head, how could I get him on the podcast? That man is Tim Gunn, and he is in the studio right now. Welcome, Tim. Lisa, I am so thrilled to be with you, and I'm so happy that New Year's Day brought us back together again, because I think about you all the time. Well, look at that. I think about you all the time. We'll be right back with Tim Gunn. Tim Gunn has been a professor, an associate dean at Parsons School, the chair of the fashion department, a job that sought him out. He did not go looking for it. He has been CEO of Liz Claiborne. He has been co-host and producer of Project Runway. He's the author of books, but now he is about to make his debut on Amazon, the network everyone wants to be on. It's not even a network. It's It's life itself. The new show is called Making the Cut. He appears with his friend and, I don't know, bestie, (laughs) Heidi Klum. And it will be a new, wonderful, more glamorous competition in the fashion space. Thank you very much, Lisa. And and it is at a much higher level. It's a global look at fashion. And we're really looking to brand a designer as opposed to just talk about a dress. You know what I love about the idea? It seems much more timely given that I I read that one can buy clothes that you see on the show almost instantly. Instantly. Okay, well, we have developed an appetite for instant gratification. And there were a couple of times on Project Runway that you could order something But it wasn't easy to do, and it wasn't instantaneous. Not at all. You had to wait weeks. Another thing is that a lot of the people who are going to be contestants on the first first, uh, uh, year, first season of Making the Cut, are already quite developed in their native land. Yes, it's very true. So they're already, they have the talent, they have the goods. They do, and they understand marketing, they understand visual merchandising, they understand sourcing and production. Um, They really do have the goods. So there's so much to talk about in fashion. First of all, the globalness of it. Yes. The casualness of it. Now, you and I are both, (laughs) you and I are both wearing lovely suits that yours fits you better than mine fits me. Okay. I expected that. But but we know about dressing. Yes. I'm just going to say that. The idea of wearing thick, thick thick-soled multi-hundred dollar sneakers that make you look like you have a body issue. Yes, they do. I agree. And to wear them with evening clothes. Explain that to me, please. Lisa, I wish I could explain it. I would just like to extinguish all of it as I would like to extinguish athleisure. What is this? And then people will say things to me such as, why are you looking at my sweatpants? And they're at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh-huh. My sweatpants happen to be cashmere. I don't care. Who uh, cares what they're made out of? Right. They're sweatpants. I don't really. Un- I understand the need to be comfortable. And I understand that a lot of people work from home. I work from home. But when I leave home, I try to shower and, and yes, put clothes on. Exactly. I don't think that's so difficult. And I believe it's about respect for oneself, respect for our fellow human beings, and just feeling better able to take on the world. They will say to us, we need to feel comfortable. We don't care about social norms and and standards. This is our world. 
and deal with it. Oh, I hear it all the time. Yeah, exactly. Deal with it. And my, and my retort is, if you want to dress to feel as though you never got out of bed, don't. Do you, on these competitions, do you ask people to sort of dress as they always do, or do you want them to sort of up it a bit? Well, we treat everyone as a professional, and we assume that they are accepting responsibility for how they present themselves. So there's no direction other than no brand names need to be emblazoned on you right. because we'd have to Greek them out. Right. Um, but no, it's totally up to them how they, they present themselves. And if they, in fact, are women, men designing women's wear, men's wear, wear your own brand. Yeah, of course. Yeah, wear it. Because the judges may ask, who are you wearing? Okay, tattoos. Let's talk about that. I have yet to see a woman under the age of 40, practically, who is not tattooed or a man who is not tattooed. And when I see a tattoo designer on a show, it's like going to a hair cutter who's who's got a mohawk. I feel like this person and I are not going to speak the same language. Why would I choose that person? Well, and I have and to say... And it doesn't mean anything. No. A tattooed mohawk person could be a fantastic hair cutter. Yeah, could be. Absolutely. I have to say about the whole tattoo trend, and I think it's here with us for, for a long time, if I were to consider such a thing... It would have to be something so deeply personal. Well, actually, you and I could share this thing. Yes. It could be our Library of Congress catalog number. Oh, that's an idea. You know, but I have a serious aversion to pain, so it's not going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I have a serious aversion to ink. Yeah. I don't like when my hands are dirty. I like clean hands and clean, you know, and I just think it's true. The ISBN number would be sort of clever. I did meet a woman at a book signing who pulled open the top of her dress and showed me that she had a little crocodile oh, on her chest. That's actually sweet. Yes, but do you really no. want that when you're 70? No. I don't think so. But I do like the fact that it was concealed and that she had to reveal it as opposed to look at me and the fact that I'm a walking illustration. Yeah, it becomes a little bit of a cliche, yeah. all of you who are contemplating it. I don't think it looks like you're an original disruptor anymore. I think it looks like you're a follower. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, there are extremes. um, And we have a designer on Making the Cut who is head-to-toe tattoos. He lives in Shanghai, though he's from the States. And he actually said, I I still choke up when I think about it, um, or I reflect upon his words. He actually said, I'm a very private person. I'm very shy. I don't like engaging with people. And this puts people off. (gasps) It makes me very unapproachable. And he said, I like it that way. Oh, that's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. That's how I felt. But it tells you something about about the approachability of somebody who looks like they've been in every gang. Yeah. And I appreciated his candor. Wow. In addition to athleisure. Oh, there are oh, other, yeah, no, so so, oh. so these sneakers that are yeah. $800, $900. Ridiculous. Okay. I have to say it. It's the K word. Oh, the, them? Yeah. They really have become oh. the influence that just won't go away, right? I, I'm, and I'm still flabbergasted by it. I, I just I fundamentally don't understand who wants to subscribe to this craziness. It's not even craziness. It's just it's vulgarity. It's bad taste. It's it's egregious self promotion. It's having a mother who's basically a madam. I yes. don't understand it. Yes, and people capitulate. Yeah, you know they say, "Oh, I know it's tacky," but did you see the one where they blah blah blah? Or people pretend they don't like it, and then they know the name of every single person on the show. I don't understand. First of all. The aesthetic. No, I agree. It's shiny. Yeah. And it's upholstered. Yeah, it's it's very artificial. Yes. Yeah. The shape is a new shape on me. I, I have never really understood the silhouette. But I don't, I guess fundamentally, I don't understand people who don't value privacy. I agree. And I don't understand 
not being self-conscious. I don't understand. Shame is good for you. I absolutely am, am in I'm in total so agreement. Pro, I'm so pro-shame. I have to tell you a funny story. Shortly after the K's revealed themselves, I was on a talk show and I was asked about them. And I said, it's pure unadulterated vulgarity. I'm not even remotely inter- interested in it. And I hope it goes away quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, about a month later, I was on a daytime show in Los Angeles. And when I arrived, I realized that they were there, too. All, all of them? Yeah. So I, you could tell by the entourage of, of um, SUVs. So <laughs> I asked the producers, is there a way I can navigate backstage so that I don't have to run into them? And they said to me, don't worry. They've already asked the same thing about you. Oh, how funny. <laughs> oh, how funny. But what do they offer? They offer, I guess, to a certain kind of viewer, the American dream. Is think, that what it is? I hate to say that I agree with you. I think that for many people, that lifestyle is aspirational. I don't get it. I just don't understand it. Occasionally, I'll, I'll be with a group of young people, high school students, for instance, and do you have any questions? Yeah. How do I become famous? Well, what do you w- want to become famous for? Oh, I don't care. I just want to become famous. That's it. Well, I think this is the actual problem with America. I mean, I think that's the whole problem with America right now, which is people want to be famous. They don't believe in work. They don't believe in the doing, in the passion of finding something you love and doing it, which is all the rewards one needs, really. It's the best feeling in the world to work hard for something. It's that you enjoy. Yeah. But to just sit around, get your nails done, and sh- I don't know. I don't know what they do. Go on yachts? I, I fundamentally don't understand. And I would have thought in this era of tremendous and, and grotesque income inequality, people yes. would find them offensive. I would, too. I well, would I mean, I find them offensive. But, you know, when, when you talk about working hard for something, I I have to say, I reflect upon my childhood, and I was a competitive swimmer, and I loved it, and I trained at it extensively. And I remember swimming and swimming and swimming and never coming in for second or third, but you just work harder and harder. And the first time I came in third, I was seven, and I still remember that day 60 years ago. I mean, it's... Depressed. well, or disappointed in yourself. No, that when I came in third, I for actually the first time. for the first time, oh, as oh, opposed sorry. to fourth, fifth, or sixth. Oh, and it was the me. most. No, it was. I, I was ebullient. Elated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just such a rush, and I and eventually I was coming in first. Right. The reward that you achieve is priceless. Well, and the fact that you can get better. Yeah. And that also, as we talked about just before the mic went on, the fact that you lose your sense of time when you're doing something you enjoy. Absolutely true. But having to perform for the cameras is a whole other thing. Now, you too have become very comfortable in front of a camera. Finally. (laughs) No, but you, I mean, it's not the same thing because you're not there promoting you, 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 you. No, 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 no. You are, and what I find so appealing about you on TV is that you're really a teacher still, but also an enthusiast. You're really trying to help everyone find his or her or their own way. Thank you, and I am. I am. I I care about them. You care about them. Once they become your ducklings, you want them to succeed. I do, indeed. And that's clear. And the interesting thing is that you and Heidi Klum, in your former show, were really the first people who had a competition show that was meant to be kind. I mean, there is bitchy, bitchy, bitchy stuff back there, backstage, but all the interactions you have with the contestants and she had was respectful and I wish you had done better and what was this? This was a mistake. You showed such promise. You know, there's a sense of Let's all get better at this. Exactly. Thank you. That's not everyone. Not everyone can win. But let's all and also learn. I would reach a point, and this happened during teaching, during my my, the period of time when I was teaching, and and I invoked it on uh, Project Runway any number of times, and I invoked the saying, which I will will reveal. I invoke it on making the cut once, 
And it's the following. I can't want you to succeed more than you do. <gasps> that is fantastic. And why do I feel more invested in your success than you do? You you now have to do all the heavy lifting. Right. Can't be up to me. Right. Right. Because you reach a point where you think there's only so much one can do. Well, that's also interesting. Why would somebody go to the trouble and anxiety and hard work to at least make it to the finals? Agreed. And then blow it off or get distracted or lose their way or not care? But I'd rather have them do it on the show rather than, than fake it in a way, win, and then crash and burn. That's, I really feel the winner yes. should have a profound trajectory should really ascend. Yes, it's been sort of surprising who from Project Runway did not capture the public afterwards, because there's some great personalities who emerged, even if they weren't the winner. Yes, it's true. And yet they're just, they've receded. Yeah. And well, it's a tough business, it's, isn't it? Oh, I mean, when we think about, well... Even the last five years, forget about the last 10 or 15 years, when we think about how many designers who used to be in our vocabulary who are just gone. They're just, they, they're, they're gone. They're gone. First of all, a whole generation has passed away. Yes. That's for sure. I mean, when we lost Bill Blass and Oscar de la Renta, I mean, that's, that's a, a big cohort. Yes. We, st- we still have Carolina Herrera. We do indeed. And we still have Donna Karen and Calvin Klein, but they're not really as active as they used exactly. to be. And Ralph Lauren we still have. God knows we have Ralph. <laughs> but the whole experience of shopping is completely different. And I wonder whether everything's across purposes. Here are these shows where we learn how a dress is seamed, where we learn how to cut a pair of trousers, where we see people draping on models, and we have more of a sense of the manufacture of a garment. At the same time, the pleasure of going to a store and trying it on and seeing if it looks better in the belted version or if, you you know, this size, that size, and so on, is sort of gone because you're ordering it online. Yes, it's true. You don't have the convivial experience. I mean, every Friday when I was a a preteen, our school ended. I went to a girls' school, of course, curtsied, of course. (laughs) Got out of school at 12.15 on Friday so we could go to Bloomingdale's. I think they had an arrangement with Bloomingdale's (laughs) or something. And we'd wander around. But it was a day. Yeah. And that's what girls did. It was an experience. Did. It was fun. And you'd experiment a little. You'd try on something that wasn't really you. Of course, for me, <laughs> I was I was in a Lacoste shirt no matter what. <laughs> but, Tim, that experience was lovely. And it, it's part of what drove and drives tourism. Yes, definitely. So now you walk on the streets of New York. The lobby level retail is almost gone. Well, how many empty storefronts do we see in our own neighborhood on the Upper West Side? It's heartbreaking, yeah, too. It is. It's very heartbreaking. And urban blight seems to be coming, you know, swiftly on its heels. Yes. The stores, the one-offs, Charavari was oh. the key of the Upper West Side. It was. We don't have anything like that. No, nothing. What is, I mean, there... And we remember, there's a whole generation that doesn't even know what that is. Right. Was it Michael Kors who started there or Mark Jacobs as a salesperson? Mark Jacobs, definitely. Started as a salesperson there. And, oh, right, Michael Kors was at Lothar's. Does anybody remember that? No. Paraphernalia? (laughs) Hello? Everyone, Lisa and I are not covered with dust. (laughs) Yes, exactly. We're very active. We just have... Excellent memories. Excellent, excellent memories. But, okay, so Barney's. Okay, oh, tragic. So, so let's talk about Barney's because it started out, it's really, I, I'm sure somebody's written the history, but it's an interesting story. It started out as a discount men's and boys store in an ucky neighborhood yeah. where rent was cheap in Chelsea, but Chelsea wasn't Chelsea. And that's where if you were, so I understand, a chubby kid, that's where your parents would take you for your first suit. Yes, exactly. And it was no glamour. No. And that's it. That that's the original legacy of Barney's. Yeah. 
No Barney Pressman. And the commercials for Barney's were legendary. There was a very famous commercial written by the guy, Steve Gordon, who wrote the movie Arthur, the oh. original Arthur. And it's a bunch of kids in the 30s sitting on a stoop. And one boy says, what do you want to be, Fiorello? Oh, me? I want to be the mayor of New York. What do you want to be, Willie? I want to be a slugger. What do you want to be, Barney? Somebody's got to make your clothes. <laughs> And that was Barney's. And then suddenly they gentrified the facade of their 17th Street store and they put in a women's penthouse and at Armani and, and Yves Saint Laurent and stuff. And it became this really cool place to shop. Yes. The coolest in a way. The coolest. And then, of course, they hired Peter Marino to design the most glamorous, well, not skyscraper, but a full-service department store on Madison Avenue and 61st Street. They're full glam, full-tilt glamour. Absolutely. It was, it was all granite. It yeah. wasn't even, you know, it was good material. Yeah. It was beautifully done. The lighting was exquisite. It was a block from the great hotels and, and the other, and from Bergdorf's. It was a tourist destination. And it became a tourist destination. And it was different from all the rest because they gave men and women as much space. It was really the most respect for men's dressing along with women. It became the place everybody I know from out of town wanted to go there, wanted to be taken there for lunch, wanted to hang. And now the signs all over New York, including men with sandwich boards saying going out of business. Mm -hmm. It's as if we're in, you know, Daddy Warbucks time and Little Orphan Annie. It's a hard knock life, Barney. Yeah. I mean, does this mean the end of anything? Because it seems like rich people are still very, very, very rich. Oh, if, if not richer. I'm uh, I'm in a kind of anguish about it, and I wonder who's next, because this is a bellwether of a sort. Maybe it's Harrods that's going to close. I don't know. <gasps> wow. Yeah, right. Or Macy's, or... Well, I'm, I've been waiting for Macy's to go. It's amazing that it's yeah. still around, isn't it? Well, and then at the same time, Nordstrom's comes in and says, hey, we're here. We're the newest kid in town and, you know, suck it. Have you been in? Uh, just the lobby for a second. I've been in twice. Mm -hmm. um, the place is empty. There are more sales associates than there are customers. Well, that doesn't bode well. No. Okay. What about Hudson Yards? Ooh. That place really creeps me out. Oh, Lisa, I'm in such total agreement with you. It creeps me out, and I'm frankly rather terrified of it. It feels like a big, scary airplane, like duty-free, uh, I don't know, uh, hangar. Yeah. And there are a lot of people surrounding it, and no one's shopping in it. No, no one's shopping in it. No one's eating in it. And what I'm so alarmed by, and it's sticking in my memory forever, I believe, and you're probably aware of the same thing. Have you ever seen anything in New York go up so quickly? No, I know. Ever. It makes me worry about the building materials and the quality of construction and everything's supersized. But it also makes me wonder who's in on this. Yeah. Because whoever's in on this may be the person who's raising the rents everywhere else. It may, that may very well be. Also... That same person or organization, company, was in charge of the construction of the 7th Avenue or the number 7 train line mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. goes to Hudson Yards. Oh. That station floods every time it rains. Talk about construction quality and materials. Wow. Makes me worried about the entire place just collapsing. And we can't forget, it's sitting on top of the train tracks. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It's, it's all right suspended. Over, that's right. Over Penn Central. Yeah. So who is the real bad guy here? Is it Amazon? Because I hope not, because I love Amazon. <laughs> I, I, I have such mixed feelings about Amazon. See, I don't. So well, I let's, won't let's talk. Okay. <laughs> I won't buy books at Amazon. I will never buy a book at Amazon because they tried to pressure publishers into giving writers less than great uh, royalties on their audiobooks. So I'm not a that way. I love to buy things like light bulbs and cleaning supplies on Amazon. As do I. 
and a lot of household things that yeah. you can't find in the neighborhood because the neighborhood doesn't have stores anymore. It, pre- precisely. And Amazon is faster when it comes to food items than Fresh Direct. And I, I just, I, and I also find that if I'm thinking about buying something that I might go to Bloomingdale's or Nordstrom's for, and Amazon has the same brand, by the time I finish thinking about it, it's already arrived. And it could even almost be a little cheaper. Yeah, it could be cheaper. But when it comes to my clothing, I am definitely a fan of bricks and mortar, of Mm -hmm. going and shopping. Mm -hmm. And I have a regular place for my suits, which we talked about earlier, that when it comes to things like denim um, and casual dressing, Mm -hmm. can I say a name? Sure. I'm a big fan of J. Crew. Yeah. Um, And there's a wonderful men's shop at Columbus Circle. However... The last three times I've gone there, I've gone because I wanted to get something now and wear it now. Right. They don't have my size. They oh, don't have wow. the size. They don't have the color. And I'm thinking, I could have ordered this online. It would already be here. <laughs> I'd already and that's be what sick happens. of it. I had another experience <laughs> at the Brooks Brothers at 88th Street and, and Broadway. And Broadway. Uh-huh. I wanted a turtleneck sweater. Perfect place to go for one. Right. That's, that's quality. And, and, and I don't want to buy a lot of things, so I want things to last. Yes, they had turtlenecks, but they were only for display. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, if you like this, we'll order it for you and you can pick it up. Well, I can go online myself and it will come to my house. Yeah. This is crazy. So in other words, brick and mortar stores are now kind of shell-shocked, don't know how to yeah, sell. Yeah, yeah. And to hear that that store, and it may, may not be every item, but was certainly the turtleneck, to hear that it's a showroom... I, I, right. So that means it's not a store anymore. Yeah. It's a showroom. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, it's, it, that it, makes it's no a sense. strange time. and I'd like to see something in a turtleneck. Do you have one? <laughs> I mean, then that's right. Then might as well shop on your, yeah. on your laptop. Yeah. And to say, oh, well, we'll order it for you. You can pick it up here. That's preposterous. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But I do want to take a stroll and go shopping with a friend and then get a little turkey sandwich and think about, should I have gotten that thing or no? I do understand, and I think this is interesting, that at the women's Nordstrom's, there are bars in all the shoe departments. You mean bars where one has a cocktail? I believe so. Really? Yeah. Is the thought get the customer a little inebriated and they'll buy things that they wouldn't buy otherwise? Have you seen the prices of shoes lately? (laughs) I think you need a little liquid courage to buy a pair of shoes. Okay, we should write a book, and I would like to write this book with you, and it is a book about how much you should pay for good quality clothes. Because frankly, when I see people carrying a bag that I know is $3,000, when you walk into the ground floor of Saks, you cannot buy a wallet for under about $400, $500, $600. That's repugnant. Who are these people? But you know, I I have a refrain about this, uh, the $3,000 handbag. How about... A fifteen hundred dollar handbag. That's still a lot of money. And give the remainder, give the other fifteen hundred to charity. How about a four hundred dollar handbag? Yeah. Can you find one? That I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I really don't know. And then you could fund a school somewhere. Yeah, but you really could. <laughs> yeah. I feel this way about most luxury items. That can't you do with a little less? And then help some people? Yes, I feel that way, too. I definitely feel that way, too. And I feel that I would like to talk to you about just one last subject before we go to your five or seven things. How the presidential candidates are dressing. Have have you given that <sighs> much thought? Well, one in particular is nothing better than an unmade bed. And you know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. You mean the tie that's held together by scotch tape? Oh, that one. Oh, you're oh, the sitting president. The sitting president. Oh, that's a whole other matter. I thought we were talking about, about candidates. Oh, you thought we were talking about Bernie? Yes. <laughs> well, I was. Yeah. Oh, our current president? I, I, I don't have the adequate words. Everything's oversized. The, the, the tie is an arrow pointing to private parts. I mean, I just fundamentally don't understand anything about him. The quaff, 
Um, rem- remember the Virginia Graham show from back in the 60s? Girl talk. And, yeah, girl talk. She had the exactly. same hairdo. She had the same exact hair. She did. Oh, I loved her. I loved the way she sounded. <laughs> she sounded like a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> she was a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, she was. Yes, um, exactly. But also, nothing fits. Nothing from, fits. From looking at you where every where your shoulders and your lapels are just so perfectly fitted. And well, again, I have to say, just looking at your suit and looking at your tie. The idea of fit is everything. It's everything. You could be wearing an $80 thrift shop suit, but if it's fitted, it looks like a million dollars. Absolutely. Absolutely. A million dollars. Oh, let's talk about Elizabeth Warren's black. What is that? Is that like an Eileen Fisher top and pants so. with just a brightly colored? It's a uniform for her. And it's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Because unlike Hillary Clinton, whose every move was parsed and analyzed to death, nobody talks about Elizabeth Warren's clothes. No. No, people don't. And and I like the fact that she's found something that suits her and that she doesn't have to do a lot of thinking about. No, I, I mean, know. It's, it's a very good thing. I kind of am dying to see her in a gown, you know. At some point in the future. I'm trying to project a gown onto her. It's difficult to do. I know. It's like a color form. Yeah. What would it be? Yeah. I guess it would have a standing collar. Okay, what about Amy Klobuchar? Well, sartorially, she reminds me of a lot of people I used to teach with. It's it's pretty plain Jane. It's plain Jane, but it's not distracting. No, except it's not for when her hair, yeah. you know, bobs under a fan. But again, nothing to get excited about, nothing to get upset about, or angry about. Melania Trump. Can How we go you... back to the K's? <laughs> it's the same idea, yeah, right? It's the same idea. It's yeah. the same idea. Yeah, I just well, I fully subscribe to the semiotics of clothes. The clothes we wear send a message message about how the world perceives us. I still go back to the hurricane coat saying, I don't, I don't care. care. Do, Do you? you? You're the first lady of the United States. But I suppose it's no less disrespectful than what her husband does every second of every day. Why can't Jim Jordan wear a sport coat? Excellent question. I think we should send him one. <laughs> I think we should. I think it would be a, a way of beautifying America. Oh, I I I find that disrespectful. When I do too. He goes to a hearing and interrupts people and won't wear a sport coat. Do we know why? I I, I honestly don't. Is he so proud of his arms? Is oh. that what it is? Well, if if his jacket fits him well, we'll still be able to imagine what. The silhouette of the arms is like correct. Yeah. There are there are athletes who look beautiful in tailored clothes. They look better. Yeah, they, they actually look better. Look better. And exactly. They command a, a kind of respect. You you wake up. I, I mean, I look at quite frankly, I I look at at Mr. Biden. I look at Mr. Bloomberg. They look presidential. You would be proud to put them on a stage and say, this is the leader of our nation. It's hard to imagine that that would, that look, I mean, I know there are a lot of people who feel we've had enough white male presidents. Oh, I I know. Absolutely. But you know what? The idea of a grown-up who behaves like a grown-up is something I think we are hungering for after this name-calling and this baiting. and Oh, it's been awful. And it will continue to be. Yeah. And, and I was just thinking, apropos of our conversation, it wouldn't have happened without our conversation. I was just thinking if, there were, if I were given the opportunity to ask Trump one question, I think it would be the following. Why do you never button your suit jacket? Why? <laughs> What is that? Okay, and I have a follow-up question, Mr. President. Why do you wear your overcoat indoors? <laughs> I think he's a flasher on top of everything else. And I think he's got a big, fat can, and he doesn't want anyone to see it. Well, he does have a big, big fat can. That's it's something it. else that he shares with the you-know-whos. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, what a pleasure to talk to you. I want to remind everyone that your new show is called Making the Cut, and it's on Amazon, and it will debut at the end of March. March 26th. March 26th. Or March 27th, I'm sorry. March and 27th. My grandma's birthday, March 27th, and two episodes a week. Yes. And you can binge on it, and you can buy from it. 
And that is the exciting, and and it'll be great. And I don't want to have to be the one who wants your success more than you or something to that extent. It's which, true. Which is... I, I, I can't want you to succeed more than you do. Yeah. I knew a girl who said to a guy she was dating, I am sick of telling you why I'm so great. Oh, if dear. you don't get it, yeah. you're never going to get it. And Same d- thing. And don't want to get it, obviously. Exactly. So now you're things that make your life better. And you know, Lisa, this was one of the hardest things I've had to do to, to make this list. And... I kept recalibrating my thinking, even coming to the studio to meet you today. I I had more thoughts about it, but this list would just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was trying to think of things that weren't Miss America-like, such as peaceful mankind. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But one thing that did occur to me that I don't have on the list is the simple word shelter. I think it's very important, and we shouldn't assume. and safety. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I yes. think we shouldn't assume. And I thought That's about good, good health. Yep. But experiencing illness, injury, um, having health that isn't at 100%, I really believe helps us appreciate what we do have and helps us feel ecstatic when we, in fact, heal and get better. And be so mindful of how, on a dime, you could lose something. Exactly. Exactly. And realize how lucky we are to have anything. I mean, It's, it's just... amazing, isn't it, how the body heals itself? Yeah. I, I was visiting a friend who has a broken hip the other day. Oh, dear. And she's in a lot of pain, but doing very well now. But I remember leaving the hospital and feeling... I can walk. Yes. There are times I couldn't. So I'm very, very grateful. I feel the same way. I'm grateful to be able to get out of bed in the morning. And that I want to some days. As woeful as I can be about the current state of affairs, I have a new refrain, which I repeat to myself quite frequently, and that is, we could all be living in Syria. Oh, that's true. And it makes me feel better instantly. Yes. Yes. We could. We could. We could be living under much worse circumstances. And fingers crossed things will get better. They will. I'm confident because they can't get much worse. Exactly. (laughs) And when when we have people like Adam Schiff calmly laying out the argument, and when we have Nancy Pelosi sort of uh, understanding how the system works better than anybody, absolutely, any two-bit politician... It, it does feel pretty good. I consider the speaker a dear pal. She and I have hosted a lot of events together. Oh, I am a big fan of hers. Oh, she's, she is fabulous. And, and like Adam Schiff, very calming, very even-keeled. And I think it's from, the, I think it's her gender. I mean, and the fact that she's a fabulous mother. And grew up in Washington. And grew up in Washington. Well, Just, Baltimore. Well, Baltimore. Yeah. But close. Close. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, let's go back to your list, because your list is great, actually. Well, thank you. So, shelter, yes. Good health, yes. A curious mind you put on your list. I think that's a very good thing. Well, I am. I have a curious mind. So, I, I mean, all of this is projection, in a manner of speaking. But it, 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 it's a catalyst for wanting to know more. T- tell me more about that. I don't, I don't know about it. Um, doing your own research, your own investigation, and and broadening your whole view of the world. It's the most thrilling and enthralling feeling. Isn't it it true? I mean, we're old enough that we know how to do our own research. And we don't say, send me coverage. Or I don't need to know about that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's some things we don't need to know about, but what about the things we want to know about and want to know more about? Listen, there are people who become experts at new subjects as they get older, and it's a great way to keep your mind active. Absolutely. Excellent. Number two? Books. And that's also, it goes with a curious mind. Right. Um, It's my go-to place to, to, to find out more. Same. My house is decorated in my books. Mine too. Of course. In fact, I need to find more spaces to put them. Um, I, 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 I'm considering 
taking all the pictures off the walls. Oh wow! <laughs> just to expand Build on more bookshelves. bookshelves. Yeah. But I love my I love the paintings and drawings that, that I that I live with. Yeah, I know it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. But it's a high class problem. It's a good problem. <laughs> I I love having my books with me. Number three, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It is the place where I fuel my soul. I can't get enough of it. Um, I'm there at least once a week. Um, and it's... The, the, the only trouble with the Met for me is... Because I'm, I'm a museum junkie. We live in a city that is an abundance of riches when it comes to museums. My problem is I love the Met so much, I never want to go anywhere else. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, and it has... It has corners that you think you know, and you don't, and you don't. Yeah. Um, one of if if I if someone once asked me, "What's your favorite painting at the Met?" I won't. I can't say what my favorite painting is. I will say this: if I were told that I could remove one work of art and bring it to my apartment, uh-huh. it would be Picasso's portrait of Gertrude Stein. Oh wow! And. Whenever I go to the Met, well, that sh- I shouldn't say this. Once a month, I'm on a quest to find the, the painting because it keeps moving around. Yeah. In fact, it was recently in the Valentin exhibit because Valentin did a, a portrait of, of Gertrude Stein um, in his rather br- brutish style, and they juxtaposed it to the Picasso portrait. And I just, frankly, can I be honest with you? Yeah. I started to tear up. It, well, you saw so it beautiful. in a new way. Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah, nice. But I'm just, I'm crazy about the Met. And everybody needs a place that feeds their soul. And you need beauty in your life. You do. It, we all do. We all do. It's not highfalutin. It's a it's a human need. And I, I'll con- confess this to you, too. I've never talked about this publicly. Um, anticipating the inauguration in 2017, I contacted the head of... Uh, membership at the Met, uh, then Lisa Krasner, who's a dear friend now, and asked her, how much would it cost to underwrite admission on Inauguration Day? And she said, what? And I said, I'm, I'm seriously thinking about it. If it's affordable, I would like to underwrite admission so people... Ha- I'm sorry, I'm welling up again. So I'm very moved by people that. People have a safe place. <gasps> oh, Tim. And she said, she got back to me within half an hour, and she said, I just talked to the to the director. We're very grateful to you, but we don't want to politicize the museum, which I understood and respected. Mm-hmm. But I spent Inauguration Day there oh. and sent out a beautiful, uh, I sent to my social media a beautiful photograph of a painting um, that was part of a temporary exhibit uh, of a, a, a woman on top of the of, of the world, um, a, a globe. It was all metaphorical, and just said on this day of all days. Sorry, we have to be grateful for the triumph of the human spirit. Oh, that's so beautiful. You're yeah. a good man, Tim. It's, it's it feeds my soul that that museum. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, you're a good guy. Well, it works. Thank you. Works both ways. It's one of the reasons why I adore you. Thank you. Back at you. Number four is empathy. You don't even have to say another word. You've just shown it a well, hundred times. And you know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier before we came in the studio about rudeness and and the the pervasiveness of it. I I really believe that when you employ empathy. You you behave better because you think how would I how would I feel if someone were to say those words to me with that tone and that intonation, and if you wouldn't feel very good, you you modify what you want to say and how you want to say it. It doesn't seem complicated, I agree. does it? No. But yet for some people, it's just impossible. Again, I'd like to point out that when you apologize to someone with sincerity, you're not saying I'm weak. You're saying I'm strong. Absolutely. I under I understand I hurt your feelings. I understand I misunderstood you. I understand that I could have done this better and I've learned from it. That is 
a beautiful thing. And it's about accepting responsibility for your words and actions. And and saying I'm sorry says I, I acknowledge this and I'm sorry. And I have learned and I want to move on. Yeah. I will say something that I learned from a psychiatrist about empathy. Mm-hmm. Narcissists are incapable of empathy. Ah. Incapable. Oh. Which I found very interesting. Well, we've seen that in the public sphere, too, Absolutely. haven't we? Yes. You know, who was it? Was it Bill Clinton who, as a new president, as a newly inaugurated president, said in his speech, I think, at his first inaugural, he said, I'm going to accomplish this and this in my first 100 days. And on day 101 or two, he said, I apologize. I didn't do it. And I thought, I've never heard a president say this before. I know. I, I still remember that also. Yeah. Yeah, it was a remarkable thing and a wonderful thing. And a wonderful thing. I mean, we don't need our president to be our best friend. No. We need him to be a good human being. Exactly. Exactly. And that's not, it doesn't seem to be asking too much. On another note. <laughs> this is a very different note. A very different note, but a very essential one. <laughs> mine is, just so you know, mine is potato chips. But your, what is it, guilty it's, pleasure? It's my guilty pleasure, microwave popcorn, though... I, I'll be more specific. It's the low-sodium, 100-calorie bag of microwave popcorn. So I'm, And part of it is because when it comes to food, I have very little self-discipline. <laughs> so I find that hard to believe. If it's a bag, I get to eat the whole thing and it's empty. If it were a... a, a, a a bucket, you a would bucket, eat the bucket. I would eat the whole thing. Yeah. Exactly. It's why I like single servings. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I have microwave popcorn every single night with That's a glass fun. of wine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the wine is understood. <laughs> we should meet for dinner sometime. Wine and popcorn. I will do it in a heartbeat. Okay, good. Number six. It's dressing up, which we talk, have talked about. Yes. I really believe we all behave better, interact in a more positive way when we're dressed correctly. And I'll go a step further, which some people really object to, but I attribute a lot of the, oh, how to describe it, the, the um, disintegration of, of mores and behavior and all this violence and acting out. I, I attribute a good deal of it to the fact that people aren't dressed appropriately. I think if you're if you're if you feel good about how you're dressed and you look good, you're not going to behave badly. Well, you're certainly your posture is going to be better, yeah. and that speaks volumes about how you feel about yourself. I am the mother with the finger at the bottom of the spine of all my children. Excellent, Lisa. I love that. <laughs> no, it's important, and and it's it, it, particularly now with computers, we're we're all just getting accustomed to being being slumped over, and it's not a good look. Slumped over in our sweats. Yeah. yeah, and and that's another thing about the fit of clothes. The only way you're going to look as though your clothes fit you when they do is if your posture is correct. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're going to look like a mess. Also, you're going to look taller. Who doesn't want to be taller? Yeah, exactly. We all do. And the final element to your good menu of feel good and gratitude is... It's fitness. Yeah. And I have to tell you, Lisa, now at at 67, um, at age 63... We're right on the cusp of that. I'll go back one more year at age 62. This would never have been in my vocabulary. Interesting. I was proud to say, oh, I don't need a gym. I don't need to work out. I walk everywhere. It's New York. And my, my regular physician said to me, you know, it's actually not good enough because you need to raise your resting heart rate. So at age 63, I met an Olympian, a three-time Olympian and silver medalist by the name of Tim Morehouse, who had just opened a fencing club. Oh, wow. And I signed up, and I've been fencing with him and his, and his group of, of coaches, and it's been phenomenal. And Tim said to me, you're not a young man. You really need something additional to, to help prepare you for, for the fencing strip. So he introduced me to a fitness trainer. Um, Jason and we we work together twice a week and have been for qu- quite a while and I feel exhilarated by the experience. Um, so he compliments and enhances what what I do with fencing, which is not only a workout for the body, it's a workout for the brain, and it's so important. I feel I feel younger than I ever have. 
I think I, I do Pilates twice or three times a week. And for me, it's all about the brain. Yes. It's so much more about the brain. Yeah. I feel better and I concentrate on, exactly. on that. You can't, can't be anywhere else. No. Isn't it wonderful? Well, if you're like me and you're uncoordinated, you could hurt yourself if, yeah. you, if you started thinking about politics or anything oh, else. Oh, no, you could, well, which is why at the, at the gym, I don't understand people with their cell phones. Stop it. I, be in the moment. Well, how about people who do their reps with their phone in their hand and they only do one they, the, when they do their leg presses and stuff? That is new to me. I haven't seen that yet. Okay. That, that's, you've, you've witnessed this? I have. It's insane. Then, then, then stay home in bed. Stay home in your athleisure. Yeah. Keep Fox on. <laughs> or I, the K's. I will tell you something funny, though, on the topic of athleisure. When I go to fencing, which is a block away, when I go to fitness training, which is 15 blocks away, um, both on the Upper West Side, need, needless to say, I'm wearing what I wear to the gym or to fencing. Right. People have actually stopped me on the street and have said, how dare you? You tell people not to wear this, and here you are. Just a minute. Let me give you a context. I'm not going out to dinner or shopping. I'm going to my gym. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. Can a person have his life in peace and dignity? Wow, what a what a world we live in. Tim Gunn, you are a treat in every way. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Lisa, it's been a huge pleasure, and I would leap at the opportunity for us to have dinner. Okay, good. Yeah. Popcorn and wine and maybe even an entree. <laughs> maybe even a plant-based meat. Who knows? Um, and if you ever need your contestants to do a preppy challenge... I'm here. Well, wonderful. Thank you. Yes, of course. Like like the world needs more of it. But the world well, probably the does, world need, does need more need of it. More of it. It's, it's, it's not as prominent as it used to be. Well, it, And I, it's a good look. It is a good look. It is a good look. Now, remember, Tim Gunn's five things were as of January 28th. Here are my five things as of April 10th. A very different picture. And I confess, it was not easy to come up with five things that make my life better because life doesn't feel like real life now. It feels like we're all in some dystopian movie. But trust me, I could do it and you can do it. Number one, more phone calls with more friends, staying in closer touch with family and loved ones. And it's true. We are calling our children every day, our parents, our brothers, it's uh it, it feels good it feels soothing number two depending on my partner for so much and his depending on me it's a test i guess and i know he's passing it with flying colors i hope he says the same about me number three parmesan i forgot that it goes on almost everything parmesan who knew number four the Cuomos. So the Cuomos are doing a lot to give us information we need. And of course, Chris Cuomo, who has been struck by the COVID beast, as he calls it, it we're, we're watching someone in real time get through this terrible disease. And number five, Randy Rainbow. You all know Randy Rainbow, right? Well, if you don't, he's a really, truly clever, and I don't say that easily, parodist. He puts political lyrics and topical lyrics to old songs. He's hilarious. He issues a new song almost every week, and he coined the term Cuomosexual because he loves the Cuomos. So listen, stay home. It's not hard to do and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.